Good morning. I've been on some uh, hiking trips like that where the backpack just seems like it will weigh too heavy. It didn't seem that heavy at first when we started out. <laughs> uh, kind of like life. Thanks, Steve, for getting that video together for us this morning. Uh, a couple of uh, announcements here I wanted to cover. Um, they are having moms in the park starting again this week. I think, I guess I took a couple of weeks off. Um, so they are meeting at Basewood Park. If you don't know where that is, it's up State Street here, turn south. And it's the first park you come to on Beachwood on the left-hand side in the back pavilions. That's Wednesdays at 1030. So if you have some kids, grandkids, if you want to find some kids in your neighborhood and bring them down and uh, play at the playground there, I know all are welcome. If you want some more information about that, talk to Casey. And uh, also, uh, July 23rd, which is two weeks from now, uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we're going to meet at Walborn. Uh, if you don't know where Walborn is, uh, I can get you directions from here, but that's on Price Street, just north of town. It's a nice little reservoir. We're gonna, I'm going to personally uh, lead the kayaking, canoeing portion of it. So if you have a kayak or canoe, I uh, invite you to come out, uh, go with us. And then they also have a kayak or canoe rentals there as well. And then afterwards, we're going to go to Phil's house and eat dinner. And he's, uh, he's preparing just an incredible spread there, I understand. So... <laughs> Uh, come hungry, and uh, we also want to make available that you can get baptized at Phil's house or come in the canoe, and I'll baptize you in Walborn, too, to make sure we got you extra wet. So, <laughs> so the other, th other thing I want to touch on, the Carnation Festival is coming up. We have the parade, and we now have the changing station, which we started last year. It's important. We need some volunteers uh, during that festival time to help us. There's seven full days of festival. There's three days that are out here in our front parking lot, and then there's three days at Silver Park, or four days at Silver Park. And we just need at least one volunteer to fill the time slot. So there is a sign-up sheet that Jane has. If you think about it, it's a real easy way to connect with people. You don't have to change the diapers. You just uh, talk to the people who come in, change the diapers, maybe keep the place clean, have... Uh, cold water available to them, talk with people, connect with them as well. So uh, talk with Jane if you think you something you'd be able to do. It's a great thing for a couple to be able to do. We don't need a lot of people for every shift, but we need somebody to cover every shift for that. So keep that in mind. And also keep in mind we are needing to collect candy for the parade route uh, that we'll be doing that on August 11. And we need some walkers for that as well to pass out candy and uh, do the uh, uh, just just the parade that day as well. So, sorry, I got to switch out technology here. Is uh, sometimes a problem. So, can you hear me now? All right. Let me get configured. That'll work. Okay. Check out your bulletin information there. There's information on the screens before and after service. Uh, also, you can see these on our Facebook page or our website as well. So, this morning we're going to continue our study in 1 Timothy. And uh, we're going to go into chapter 4 this morning. 
And if you've been tracking with us, if you've been with us every week or listening online, um, we have just finished uh, two weeks in chapter three, thanks to Steve, and he did a great job of explaining that to us, and we appreciate that. So um, we're, we're going to start in chapter four today. I think we're only going to make it to verse six, but uh, some, some good things to focus on here. So let's, let's pray this morning, just to ask the Lord for his help and understanding of this scripture. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for Wellspring. We thank you for the opportunity to preach your word, to learn about it, for the opportunity to have a relationship with you, which is incredible, Lord. I just pray this morning as we read through this, as we think about this, that you would um, just help us to understand, give us understanding, and help us to understand what this means. And what we can do to uh, apply it to our lives, Father. Um, just lift this time up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I titled this morning's message, How to Be a Good Christian, which I kind of say a little bit of tongue-in-cheek there. Um, because what does that really mean? And hopefully we'll have a little bit understanding of uh, what the Apostle Paul means by that at the end of today. But I was thinking about it, what is... What does good mean? You know, if I say he's a good guy, Mark's a good guy, you know, what does that even mean? You know, they're good, nothing's going to hurt me, they're fine. And I think maybe if we say it in the, the secular sense or in the non-spiritual sense to say they're good, it carries a certain amount of trust with it, that they're probably not going to steal my car, probably not going to break into my house, I hope, you know. You get into those ethical discussions of, you know, would you steal bread to feed your family if there was if you had no money, those types of things. And I'm not going to get into that, but to say they're good. And, and what I've learned about people, apart from those who are trying to maybe live out their life according uh, to God's word, but people are good insofar in their own strength as it advantages them or it helps them. So, you're good, as long as that good is good to me too. And then, I'm in trouble. Because it might be good for you to steal from me. It might be good for you to break into my house. So, as long as the ambition that you have in your life doesn't hurt me, you're all good on your own strength. But what we want to talk about today, and what we want to look at in 1 Timothy 4, is how to be a good servant of Christ. And that's a little bit different than what the world measures as good because Christ can make us good regardless of the things that we need, regardless of our selfish ambition. So if you think, what does it take to be a good Christian? Maybe you'll say, well, I go to church. Cool. Welcome to church. Glad you're here. Still doesn't make you good to be here. That's what we're going to find out. Maybe you came to church and you gave some money. Thank you. Still doesn't make you good. I'm sorry. So, nobody's left yet. So, maybe you do good things for the church. You serve here. You know, maybe you come in, you've, you've helped clean the church, or you've done some mission projects out and about. Thank you. Good job. Uh, doesn't make you good, unfortunately. I'm sorry. You do good things for others. You helped your neighbor yesterday or, or last week or... You, you helped your mom, you helped your, your, 
uh, somebody else in the church. That's great. These things don't make you good. They're good things. You know, I sponsor a child in, uh, in India. That doesn't make me good. It's a nice, good thing to do, but it doesn't make me good. No amount of good things make us good. There's, we, you can't. You can do all the, the great things in the world, all the philanthropists in the world, all the rich people, all the good they do. Does it make them good? And we know from Romans 3.23, I, I think most of us, or I hope most of us in this room know the scripture that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means that we're, none of us are good. We, we can't do anything that will make us good. And, and I think that maybe at some point in our lives, I know I've done, that I think, man, I'm pretty good. I'm doing good. I'm good. I'm fine. But I'm not good. I, I think by some measure that I'm good, but it's, it's not good enough to actually be good. And I, th- I think that comes from uh, uh, Jeremiah 17. I thought of this as I was studying this out. Um, it comes from this idea of just deceiving yourself. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says, The heart is deceitful, and above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? Uh, the Lord searched the heart and examined the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to their deeds deserve. Now please don't pray that prayer, because if you got what you deserved, it's not going to be good. Because you're not good. Sorry. But you're not. I don't want to be rewarded for my conduct. So what does Timothy chapter 4 have to do with being good? Well, if we remember from the last two weeks, if you were here, if you weren't, I invite you to go online after today, this afternoon, in your spare time, listen to the sermons that Steve preached the last two weeks about qualifications for elders and deacons. And these are pretty intense qualifications. And now Paul takes it to the next step here in chapter 4, which I really feel like this section, you should just read, I mean, it's, it's easy, you could read 1 Timothy pretty quick in a sitting, a couple of minutes, just to kind of understand the whole context here. He takes it to the next step in chapter 4. He says, now listen up, a time's coming, and we should read this, a time's coming when there's some that's going to depart from the faith. That's why we have these qualifications. We could call these the policies and procedures for elders and servants, everybody in the church, these are the qualifications for them. And if you left thinking last week, why do we need the qualifications? Chapter 4 is the why. So let's look at that this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1. We'll read to verse 5 right now. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created, to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected, if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So what's happening here? Well, Paul says this is the reason why we have some of these qualifications over here. If you don't remember, I'll say it real quick. Um, 
that these qualifications are uh, an overseer who must be above reproach, a husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must be able to manage his own household. And likewise, deacons have a similar but a little bit different, again, listen to what Steve had to say about this the last two weeks. Because why? Because some will become devoted to evil things. And the first one he brings up is deceit. Some are going to become devoted to deceit. Now, deceit's a fancy word for just straight-up lying to people. Have you ever known somebody who's just a habitual liar? They're devoted to lying. They're devoted to making up stories. Some can become so devoted to a lie, it becomes every part of their life. They have to keep that lie alive constantly. Everything becomes about keeping this lie alive. Even when proven wrong over and over again, they'll find another way to keep that lie alive. Even to the point where it seems like they're crazy, but they're devoted to making sure that this lie keeps coming alive in their life. Everything is more important than this lie. More important than themselves, more important than any relationship around them. As long as they can keep this lie alive, that's what keeps them alive, it seems like. Lies are actually, I think, harder to be devoted to than the truth. Because usually you can prove a liar wrong, because it's, it's a lie. And Paul says, watch to make sure that those that you put in the leadership, watch and make sure that they adhere to these qualifications. Watch to make sure, because some people are, some people, and he's talking about people coming from within the church. Some of, them, some of these people around you could become devoted to lies become so devoted to these deceit that is around them, we don't want those type of people serving in leadership. We don't want them caring for the poor. We want to make sure that they are changed, that their lives are transformed by Christ, and that this good that they're doing is not a selfish ambition that is good. And he says the next reason maybe for these qualifications is some will devote themselves to the teaching of demons. So it's kind of a scary thought. Now, demons are pretty evil things, aren't they? They're fallen angels. They, 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 they're in opposition to Christ. Why would we have... People in the church aren't devoted to the teaching of demons, right? And Paul says there will be some. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. If we look throughout church history, we can see where there are many have gone astray. Many denominations that started out really good... Some that split that were really bad splits of the church. We would have to say, man, they're devoted to a teaching of a demon. They're taking scripture and they're twisting it for their own good. We're going to think about this as a scary thought that something like that could come from among us, even here at Wellspring. And that's why we have to be so vigilant to make sure that we know the word of God so that those that come from among us are not devoted to these things. It's easy. We can say, oh yeah, it's probably the the news media. That's teachings of demons. Yeah, probably. A good portion of it. A lot of it's not factual or true. There's bad publications out there, terribly written books that are teachings of demons. Witchcraft. Those things are easy. 
But when you have somebody who speaks very well, somebody who seems just like, man, they got everything down, you want to pray that the Lord would give us wisdom on those people to make sure that they're not following the teaching of a demon. You want to make sure that they are, in fact, following God's Word and that they're being changed by God's Holy Spirit. It's not always the things that just blatantly teach maybe other lifestyles or other things that's just like, yeah, that's definitely not God's Word. And it's really easy. If it's not God's Word, then it's probably a teaching of a demon. It's demonic in some way. And furthermore, Paul says as they're going to do this in, chapter, or in verse 2, through these insincerity of liars. They are so unreal. Insincerity means maybe to be real. If you're insincere, you're just, it's not real. What they're saying is not real. It's just a continuing this idea of lies. Their consciences are seared, seared so hard. It's like taking a hot iron, and I looked up how hot like a searing steak is. That's something like 600 degrees, which is really hot. Imagine if you just stuck that to your head. It's really going to hurt. And they do it in a passionate way. They're like, yeah! My conscience is seared. I'm so serious about this lie. And once it's broken, they can't fix it themselves. Their conscience is broken. They don't see right and wrong. Whatever is right is whatever serves them well. It's seared. It's broken. They're so passionately devoted to this. They're, they're burned up. Imagine burning your conscience in that way. You don't even know what's right and wrong anymore. Just kind of floating through life saying, that feels good. You know any people like that? Just like, yeah, that seems good. I, I don't know. Just whatever, I guess whatever makes me feel good is good. Their conscience is so seared. If we look around at some other cults and religions, this is very, very common. It's, why do things change so much in culture and religions? If we think about um, Jehovah's Witnesses, very prevalent um, here in Alliance. And they get new publications, I don't know, it's weekly or monthly, but man, they get new scripture all the time because their conscience are seared. They have to figure out something new all the time because things are changing for them so much. I don't need a new publication. I don't need a new Bible every month because we already know what's right and wrong. We already know what God's Word says. It says these people, in verse 3, they're going to forbid marriage. Who would do that? Well, we think about the world out there. Just secularism forbids marriage. Ah, it's just a piece of paper. We don't need that. Or they say they forbid um, certain foods. There's a lot of religions and cults that do that, that because it's a good thing. It makes you more holy. Now they're just searching for something. They're trying to be more holy through this consciousness here. That, well, maybe I can get to God. If I go back to the Old Testament here in Leviticus, I know some people who say, maybe if I'm more holy, if I eat the way God said the Jews should. There's some good stuff in Leviticus and Numbers and understanding the books of the law and why they ate the way they did. But God made that stuff good. He made marriage good. 
He made food good. You know, if you think, man, that guy must be really holy. He doesn't need a wife. He's just completely devoted to God because he doesn't need that. I, I don't know. Sometimes I think having a wife makes me more holy because she tells me all the things that I've done wrong. And I go to God and say, I'm sorry. I think I'd have a bigger blind spot if I didn't have a wife. It's a blessing to have a wife. Yet there's a, there's a whole faction of the, the church. We can't even, I can't even call them the church anymore. The, the Catholics who've completely departed from that. They don't, even ha- they don't believe in wives for their priests, for their, their pastors. They got their nuns and their monks. And I don't want to, I'm not here to pick on them particularly, but it's a great example of those who forbid marriage. And Paul's talking specifically about something that's happening uh, in the churches around him at that time. So it's not a new thing, and it's going to happen again and again. Has God made marriage good? We all we know that. Genesis 2, uh, verse 22. I'm going to read that for you real quick. I don't think I have to prove it to anybody here. I think either you're married or you know somebody who's married around here. And... Uh, I don't know, this probably wasn't the verse I was thinking about. Oh, verse, uh, actually, um, 24, 22 to 24. I'll just read 24 for you. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So they were with God. They were um, God-ordained marriage. Genesis, the the first book in the Bible. And then, if you want to talk about food... This is Acts chapter 10. He's talking to Peter. He makes all food good here. Verse 9. Peter's asleep on the roof, and God wakes him up with this vision. No, this is not. Let me see. I hate how you get distracted by that. Things called computer... I don't think that's, that's not the right passage I was thinking of. But Peter's on the roof, and he wakes up, and God's let down all the animals and the sheep, and he says, all these animals are good for you to eat. And we've been studying in men's group, thanks to Cody, we've been studying through uh, the book of Galatians, and, and they, they address this issue. They're talking particularly about circumcision, but that maybe you have to act like a Jew to be a good Christian. You know, you got to eat the food and, and do the circumcision. There was actually called the circumcision group and then the, the Gentile group and there were these different factions forming in the church. And this was just, you know, 20 years maybe after Christ has been here, maybe a little less. And uh, they're going through this argument. If you want to look it up, it's Galatians, uh, particularly chapter 2. Paul addresses this where he uh, gets on Peter about this. It's, it's from Acts 15 as well. He says, you don't need these extra things to be holy. God has already made us holy. This don't make you good. It doesn't make you a good Christian. Chapter 6, or verse 6 of chapter 4 in 1 Timothy says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So if you want to be a good servant, 
I took some liberty with that. A good servant, a good Christian, a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine. Very simply, know the teachings of Christ, not the teachings of demons. If you want to know what the marks of a true Christian are, that's Romans 12. Let's see if I got this one right today. Romans 12, in uh, verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. Beloved, no, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we do these things to be good. Paul lays this out saying, we do these things to show that we are indeed in Christ. It's just, it's just a natural thing. When you're in Christ, these things will happen through His Holy Spirit working through us. These things happen here at Wellspring. We give to the poor. We take care of people. We attend to the saints. We pray with people. I know these things are happening. I see these things happening. It's not... If, if I wasn't... Or have a relationship with Christ, I wouldn't have any interest in doing these things. They don't serve my selfish ambitions. What, what, what good does it do me to go visit somebody in the hospital? They're dying. It's cold, but it's true if, that's, if you're looking for good in yourself. The only re- way it makes sense to do that if it doesn't serve yourself is if you were had a relationship with Christ. Then it makes sense to take care of the people in the church, to take care of the people who are dying on their deathbeds, to take the time and pray with somebody, to be with somebody who's sick. And if they're sick, I probably don't want to go visit them. I'm going to get sick. I don't want to get sick too. That doesn't serve me. But if we're doing these things because Christ has told us to do it and His Holy Spirit is causing us, driving us to do these things, we're going to do it because that's what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. So, Number one, how do we become a good Christian? What does it look like to be a good Christian? These aren't things that we do ourselves. These are things that is an uh, outpouring of, of God's Spirit in us. Number one, you need to devote yourself to the truth. If you devote yourself to the truth, you're going to know what the truth is. You're not going to be devoted to deceit. You're not going to be devoted to lies. 1 John chapter 4 Verses 1 to 6 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are a lot of false prophets out there. There's a lot of junk out there. 
By this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in flesh from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. Whoever doesn't confess that Christ is God, that he came in the flesh, that he died on the cross for our sins, is of the Antichrist. Anything else contrary to that is a teaching of a demon. Let's just say what it is. Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So if I'm from God, and I, and I hope that God is speaking through me today, through this message, and I hope that you sitting here and not rising up and walking out and saying, this is, a, this is a message of error, this is a teaching of a demon, we must leave, or probably you should carry me out, don't let me take over. <laughs> Say, so get him out of here. He's, a, he's teaching demonic things here. If, if he's teaching the truth, then we're going to sit here and listen. So I hope by your act of sitting here and listening that this is a spirit of truth that is in this room, that we are all hearing truth, that what we're talking about here. If we, we want to know what the truth is, we look at God's Word, we run it through that. Everything that happens in our lives... Every person we meet, everything we hear, you're deciding to do business with something, if you're deciding to uh, have a relationship with somebody, you look at God's Word and figure out, is this truthful or is this a lie and deceit? Because Jesus said, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. It's pretty simple. So if you know the truth... If we constantly are seeping ourselves in the truth, you'll be able to recognize the lies that Satan puts out there. If you don't know what the truth is, it's probably because you're filling your mind with other things that aren't truthful. There's, there's a, Satan puts so many distractions out there for us. I'm constantly distracted by so many other things. But if you know the truth, like that's a distraction. I, I know that that's not right. Just keep, just keep on moving. Just keep pushing it off. Because you know what God's truth is. Number two, devote yourselves to the teachings of Christ. Constantly devote yourself. He's given us so much teaching. Not only do we have his word. I don't know, I got like 32 of these Bibles at home, you know. And then, you know, they're written in different formats and different versions from different times in the world, times and dates and whatever it is. I have so many teachings. And then, and then I've got old CDs and cassette tapes where I can listen to messages taught by great pastors who have influenced me. I can go to the World Wide Web, listen to all sorts of messages there. I can listen to every sermon that Phil's ever preached here online. I can listen to multiple messages from great preachers all over the world. We have so much access to it. And we're devoting ourselves to the teaching of those things. 
Are we going to a Bible study? Are we spending time understanding, talking to each other? Are we devoted to it? I'm not saying that 24-7 you have to listen to a message. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, are you taking time to really listen and understand and know what the truth is? If you're constantly searching for the truth in other ways and other medias, you're not devoted to the teachings of Christ. Think about what you're watching, what are you listening to, what are you saying, what are you doing. Make sure you're devoted to the teaching of Christ because the other option is to be devoted to a message of deceit, a message from a a demon. We don't want to do that as followers of Christ. Number three, we want to be sincere about our faith. Remember the insincerity of the liars? If we ourselves are followers of Christ, we're going to be sincere because our conscience aren't seared. And if they were before, which they likely were, before we knew Christ, he can fix that. He's, he's, got, the, he's got the unseer. He, he, he can give you a new one. He can fix it. If you're insincere about your belief in Christ... You're just going through the actions. You're just trying to be good. You're like, I came in here. If I do X, Y, Z, that's what makes me a Christian. That's an insincere Christian. It's not a Christian. It's just somebody who's going through the flow, going through the motions. If you're sincere, if you really know what you believe, if you really understand it, it's going to come so naturally to you because you have the Holy Spirit working through you. You're going to, I'm going to go this way. Because that's where my Lord wants me to go. That's the way of the truth. I'm not going to go this way. I'm not going to hurt somebody. I'm going to naturally want to go and help somebody. If I'm not in tune with the things of the world, I'm in tune with the teaching. And that's a constant daily choice that we have to make. If you want to be sincere about Christ, look at points one and two. If you want to be sincere about his relationship, Look at points one and two. You cannot be sincere about Christ if you're not constantly thinking about his teachings and constantly devoted to him. I'm talking about a devotion where you're not looking at anything else. So I love the idea that being in Christ is, God gives us the example of marriage, that we are devoted to that spouse, that nothing else distracts us. Nothing else gets in the way. We are completely devoted to that one person. Our life should be completely devoted to Christ, his teachings and understanding, and knowing them so well that we know what they like and what they don't like, and what is true and what is not true. And then finally, number four, you have to realize that it is Christ who makes us good. You can't be good. We already established it. I said it a couple times, I think. None of this is possible without Christ because he made us good. He died for us. He came in the flesh, died for our sins, covered our sins. And he's the stand-in for God now. We don't need anything else to make us good. Because we're nothing without him. Everything is just pointless if you don't have Christ. Do all the good things you want and you're not going to be good if you don't have Christ in your life you might as well just stop now and do whatever makes you feel good I get that you should just 
pursue whatever selfish ambition you have, and the only reason you do good things is because it helps you. If you were bad at your job, I would expect you to quit that job and go get a job that you're good at. Or figure out the training of how to be good at your job. If you're bad at being a Christian, you need to find the truth of how to be a good Christian, and you can only do that through Christ. And Christ can make us very, very good at it if we know His truth. And it's not even about you. It's about Christ doing the work through you. It's nothing to do with you. So we take our eyes off Christ and we pursue the world. And I've done this as a follower of Christ. I've become a very bad Christian. I'm very bad at it without Christ. It's not up to us. Look at, if you look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's a very, very familiar passage. I don't think I have to, uh, to read that. But Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it just simply tells us that it's not through us that makes us good, but it's Christ who makes us good. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. It's something completely different from the world. It's something new. It's a new creation. We think about that searing of conscience you can't fix that. Nobody else can fix that in you. So Christ can fix that in Everything is new. Everything is taken away, and it gives you all new things. What are the old things from, beho- from behind you? What are the things that you were devoted to? How do you let those go? How do you get rid of the lies and deceit that are in your life? Yeah, I I know there's still going to be lies and there's still going to be deceit around us, but how do you let go of that? Stop being devoted to those lies. Stop being devoted to these teachings of demons that are contrary to the Word of God. I want to challenge us this week, this month, this year. We need to put aside the things of the world. We need to no longer be devoted to what is contrary to Christ's truth, but we need to be devoted to God's work here. Not by our own will. We have no control over that. But challenge yourself. How do you get into the Word every day? How do you find a way to be accountable to doing that constantly? How do you know it? How do you, you, can you sit down and read through it and say, wait a minute, I, I'm, I'm getting so distracted because this is so good and I've got to look up all these other Scripture verses that, that make sense to me, that all these things correlate to it. You know, I get excited with our men's group because, man, we, we, get, we get going on, on a passage and everybody wants to start throwing other things and we have to say, slow down, let's, let's just read. Let's just read this chapter at the moment and just focus on what it says before we get too distracted with all the other truths that we can, that we can mesh in there. That's exciting and fun. That's, that's some accountability there that we know we're coming together, that we're subscribing to the, the truth, we're understanding it. It's, it's easy to, to sit at home and say, ah, I'm, just, I'm not going to go, but why do we go to church? We come here so that we can grow more, so that we can kind of steep. It's like, like, like brewing coffee, you know? You put the coffee grounds in there and the hot water comes in and all this good, yummy stuff comes out. This church isn't about a building. I find myself in church constantly throughout the week because I'm around other believers 
and they're just excited about their faith. I had this amazing experience the other day. And I don't usually say this was an amazing experience. It was actually here in this building. I had a guy I worked with four years ago. Didn't know the Lord, wanted nothing to do with the Lord. Pouring his heart out to me, telling me his, his path to come to salvation. I mean, just, just an amazing experience. I mean, does that excite us? That we're around the truth, that he's excited, he's telling everybody. And you know what? He's far enough out, I usually say, from the people who come to the Lord that their passions kind of died. He's three years out from his conversion to Christ. Three years out. He should be like a normal, just go to church, kind of sit in the pews. Maybe he'll raise his hand every once in a while. He's still excited about his life in Christ because he knows what Christ has done. He's in the Bible every day. He's excited about that truth. Are we? Can we get excited about God's word? And get excited about his teaching because everything else is just being subscribed, just following a teaching of a demon. We can't do that anymore. I don't want to see that in the church. And Paul says this because he knows that there's going to be some that come from among us. So that way we can recognize what is happening with those who depart. We want to watch ourselves too. It's a warning not only to watch others, but it's a warning to watch ourselves that we don't become the ones who are teaching things of demons, that, those, that we aren't becoming devoted to lies in the church. It's very, very easy for us to do that. So let's, let's challenge ourselves that we will devote ourselves to the teachings of Christ, that we will devote ourselves to being sincere in Christ and know that this is something that Christ does for us, has nothing to do with us. I'll pray as the worship team comes. I, I just... I'm passionate about this, and I, I don't want to come across as I'm trying to be uh, disciplinary. But God, help us. I want this to be a church. I want this to be a group in every one of our lives that we are passionately devoted to you, that we are pursuing you, Father, that nothing else will get in the way. Make that true in my own life. You've put each of us in a position where you want us to serve you. These qualifications that you want us to attain, Father, that you want us to have in our lives, you want that for every single person, not just our leaders, every servant in the church, you want them. You want their heart. You want us, Father. Please help us remove all of these other things from our lives so that we can be passionately devoted to you, passionately devoted to your truth, to your teaching, so that we can sincerely pursue you, Father. Just lift this to you, Father. I want to pray for, maybe there's somebody here today that they've been pursuing deceit. They've been devoted to a deceit. They've been devoted to a lie. Help them, Father, today. I've been devoted to a lie. Just help them to see the truth and remove that from their lives. I pray that that would bring restoration, that would restore relationship, 
with them, Father. I lift this to you. Lift this time. In Jesus' name.